please. Romans chapter 15. And when you find it, would you please stand as we honor God and his word, as we read his word. This morning, the title of the message, Even Christ Did Not Please Himself. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind, with one and one mouth glorify and uh, God our Father, excuse me, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask you, Lord, first of all, to just, uh, Lord, change our hearts this morning. Father, we are acutely aware that without you, we can do nothing. And I pray this morning that you would just speak to us. May your word go forth. May you change our hearts, and may we be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now that you would show us this truth from your word. We've sought to honor you in song. We've sought to praise your name. And Lord, may we glorify you by being obedient to your scriptures. I need help, Lord. I pray that you would help me pray that you would speak through me for your glory. And Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that has never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for his or her eternal salvation, may today they turn from their sin and may they believe the glorious gospel and be saved. Thank you, Lord. I ask you for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're living in a very divisive culture. 
I'm sure it is that way by design. In other words, the God of this earth, the devil, wants to keep us divided. He wants nations fighting over each other because there's no peace, there's no unity in division. I think one of the greatest hindrances to unity in the church, I believe, is selfishness or self-centeredness. Self-centeredness or selfishness is the opposite. It's the opposite of unity. The Apostle Paul was faced with a great obstacle in the church at Rome. In that church, there were men and women from various backgrounds. There were Jew and Gentile. Culturally, they were different. Uh, Religious backgrounds were different. Nationalities were different. Ethnicities were different. And Paul stands in the middle trying to breach the divide and bring them together in unity. And many people in many churches have learned this lesson firsthand that when there is disunity in the church, God cannot be glorified. Please hear this statement. You were not created on this earth for your pleasure and your enjoyment. You were not created on this earth so that you could have your way. You and I were created to bring glory to God. That is our purpose. That is our purpose in life, to bring glory to God. And if the church is functioning in disunity, we cannot bring glory to God. So how does Paul stand and look to the Jews who have been converted to Christ? To look to the Gentiles who have been converted to Christ and now the two of them have become one in the body. They have everything, everything about them is different. The Jews looked at the Gentiles as dogs, and because the Jews looked at the Gentiles as dogs, the Gentiles reciprocated that hatred. How does those two become one? Well, it's obvious. It's only they can only be united in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible teaches us that there's one faith. There's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one church. And we as Christians, we have come a long way in Romans. Romans chapter 12 was a pivotal point where he changed really from all the doctrinal content to practical living. And I want you to know because of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, he was buried and he arose from the grave. And by your believing in him, you have eternal life. You are now a new creation created in Christ Jesus. You have within you the capacity to be unified with a brother or sister in Christ that's totally different than you are. But one of the plagues, one of the problems in Baptist churches is pastors want their flock to be like they are. We want everybody to think like we think and act like we act and like the same things we like. That's self-centeredness. That's self-centeredness. 
When he tells us in Romans chapter 12 to present our bodies a living sacrifice, he tells us to become dedicated Christians. And dedicated Christians are unified Christians. We have come together. Paul knows the problems between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles had liberty to do things that were forbidden by Jewish custom and law. The Christians, Jews that had been converted, didn't want to let go of those things. They wanted to hold on to those things. So the Jews looked at the Gentile Christians as being not really Christian because they didn't keep parts of the law that they thought were important. The Gentile Christians looked at the Jewish Christians and thought, well, they're just Pharisees. They're just out of their mind. They're legalists. And perhaps both sides may have some truth to it. But Paul tells us something that is important, and I hope you get this. When it comes to the work of the Lord and it comes to this church, our unity around the Lord Jesus Christ is far more important than you or me getting my way or you getting your way. If everyone has his or her own ideas and opinions, we would be busy arguing over everything. And we all have our opinions. We're human, right? I think of the past and things that I maybe gravitated to as a young pastor growing up. Looking for things you want to be successful. And you would follow things and you would find people and you would find what they were doing and you would see how you wasted so much time trying to convince people to do things the way I think they should be done. I don't know if anybody else has ever been there. But looking back, I think, you know, what in the world was I thinking? And perhaps I might struggle with that now. But I've found that in studying this passage of Scripture, what someone might think is a text that really has not much to do with anything has everything to do with our walk with Christ. Because, please hear me out, your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in your old self. Not in your opinions, not in your skills, not in your gifts. Your identity is is in Christ Jesus. And we have been called to reflect that light. And rather than arguing over this, that, and the other, we ought to encourage everyone to one faith. One fruit of the Spirit. Nine, but they all act as one. Being controlled, being filled with the Spirit. These are the things that matters. These, these, these will span all of our differences. I think, and I'm not making a political statement, I'm making a biblical statement. The fact that our nation, anyone in our nation, makes a distinction between the color of skin is appalling because the Bible says we're all one race. There's one race, the human race. We all come from one blood. One blood. Now, there are many different ethnicities, but there's only one race. 
And when we learn that my life is about glorifying God every day of my life, and you are a big part of that, we are connected in Christ. So church, you and I are unified around Christ, and because we're connected, we have fellowship. And because we have fellowship, it is important that we be unified in Christ. Not the little subtle differences that make something uh, a big, uh, make a, a mountain out of a molehill, but the real things that matter. It is my desire that myself, especially included in this statement, it's my desire that each one of us would become more considerate of others. And seek to do what builds them. To build each other up. Notice in verses 1 and 2 we have the exhortation. In our text, Paul carries on the theme from chapter 14. He gives us an exhortation that is clearly needed today in our church. First of all, notice what he says in verse 1. We then who are strong... Strong here means able or capable. Paul is talking to the believers and he instructs the ones who are able. You see, we have somehow messed this up. We, we think that because someone is strong in their emotions, strong in their stance, strong in their speech, that they are strong in the faith. But in actuality, I have found... That the weaker we are, the stronger we are. Because the weaker we are, the less we depend on ourselves and the more we depend on God. Our spiritual maturity is not alone in our strength. It's being connected to God. Everything in our lives is about how we are connected to God and how that plays out in our lives. And the stronger that we are in our flesh may mean the weaker we are in our walk. But the stronger in our walk may look as though we are weak in the flesh. How is it that you or someone could approach you, say something very, very offensive to you, and you, with the love of Jesus Christ, stand still and take it and not retaliate? To the world, that looks like weakness. Why, I would have told him this. I would have given him a piece of my mind. Be careful, you don't have enough pieces to go around. (laughs) But how strong is it in the faith when we respond like Jesus responds? I know this goes against everything. Some of you are already, oh, he's going to go this thing again, acting like Jesus, and I've got to change me and all this. You're turning the frequency on the radio right now. But those who are spiritually mature often look weak in the flesh. Those who are spiritually mature walk in accordance to the will and they understand the big picture. And the big picture is sometimes if I want to keep unity with my brother, I have to keep my mouth shut. 
Oh, preacher, this, you don't understand. I understand the Bible says the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. It's like putting a, a, a bit in a horse's mouth. The tongue is full of, the Bible says, it's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. That's what James says about the matter. The ones who are able to who are able or spiritually mature are the ones who are willing to go the second mile in dealing with weaker believers. They're the ones who are willing to be patient when someone is growing in their faith and understanding that they are a new created being and they have this new creation. They don't know how to act. They've been this way all their lives. They've come to faith in Christ. Yeah, they're going to do things that are probably not church things, but they understand that they're a work in progress. As a matter of fact... Who in here is not a work in progress? Notice he says, verse 1, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. I love this word scruple. A scruple is a feeling of doubt of what one ought to do. Has anyone ever in your Christian life said, I don't know what ought to do? Right? And how many of us think that if I could just go... All right, Lord, I've got A and B. Just tell me, Lord. Just tell me, do I do A or do I do B? Has anyone ever been there? Sure we have. And we think that for somehow, it's this mysterious thing that we've got to choose A or B, and we forget what's really taken place here. What really has taken place when we don't know what we ought to do is that we do what we know we should do. Does that make sense? We follow the principles of the Word of God and do what we know to do. And I will tell you this. I love this. There was a message I listened to. It's called 20-something by Louis Giglio. It was preached several years ago. If you can get it, I would highly recommend it. Because in that message, he was talking about the will of God. And listen, this is the will of God, that you just be with Him. We like to think of these big, grand decisions that we have to make. But in actuality, if we're just with Him. If Christ is in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, guiding our steps, if we're just in, in Him, Louis Gigolo says this, we were not created for choices, we were created for the glory of God. When we're with Him, we make the right choices. So the strong Christians come along to the weak Christians the mature Christians come to those who are spiritually immature and all that that entails, and they bear, they help lighten the load, they help lift the load off that spiritually immature believer, and we help them carry that burden. This is, is this really important in the church. In other words, the weaker believer has doubts about doing something, the mature Christian should step up and say, listen, if you're not comfortable in this, let's not do it. Let's not do it. I'm here to be a support to you. I'm not here to give you bad advice. I'm not here to make you feel inferior. I'm here to help you bear this load. And you know there are many times you can help someone bear a load. 
without even saying a word, if you just come alongside and pick it up with them. We ought to and bear. Listen, verse 2, he says this. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. I find this very interesting because Paul tells us to please our neighbor. Yet if you would read in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Okay, Paul, so you're telling me now to please my neighbor, but in Galatians you're telling me if I seek to please my neighbor, then I shouldn't be a servant of Christ. What's the deal here, Paul? Are you contradicting yourself? No, he's not. Here he tells us to please men, and in Galatians he tells us not to. Is that not a conflict? No. Is that not hypocrisy? No. There are two different contexts here. Here Paul's instructing us to give preference to a weaker brother so that we may build him up. In Galatians, he's writing against false teachers who lead men and women astray. Two vastly different illustrations. And he says to the church, strong believers, mature Christians, you have a responsibility. And your responsibility is not to go around nitpicking everybody. Your responsibility is to go to the weaker Christian and help build them up. This is what's missing in church today. People would rather talk about someone rather than help them. They would run into one, you know what, so-and-so, he's supposed to be a Christian. Yeah, he just got saved last week. This is new to him. He's not been taught. You, on the other hand, you know better. You've been in church all your life. You profess to be a believer for many years. You ought to know better. The idea is not to be under the control and desires and wishes of others. That will drive you crazy. But that, because if they want to enforce their will upon you, well, obviously that's not right. That's not the idea. The idea in the context of Paul, he wants mature believers to only do the things that are best for building or growth of others. Listen to me. Churches have done weird things in the name of building churches at the expense of losing brothers and sisters in Christ to gain people they don't even have. They, there have been some who have alienated a whole portion of people in the church so they could reach someone they don't have, they don't know, don't even know how they're going to reach them. It's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 tell us this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. In other words, in this fellowship that we have, we are given an exhortation, which means it's stronger than an encouragement. It's a command that we have the responsibility of helping one another on this journey we're in of following Christ. And some who are mature come along the immature and help them. Now, this is not a nitpicking. This is not a 
uh, judgmental thing. This is a help. We go back to Romans uh, verse uh, 3 of chapter 15 and notice the example. Paul packs no punches. I mean, I mean he doesn't withhold punches, excuse me. He lets it fly. And he, he, I mean, he goes right to the greatest example ever given. Look at verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. Do you know what it means to be Christ-like? We say Christian means Christ-like. Who knows what it means to be Christ-like? It means to be like Christ, right? That wasn't a trick, that wasn't a trick question, I promise. You all scaring me now. It means to be like Christ. Jesus is the perfect example. And Paul turns to Jesus and said, even Jesus didn't. He did not please himself. Jesus was not all about pleasing himself. He was what? To do the will of the Father. To do the will of the Father. Now listen, play along with me. Jesus had the right to stay in heaven. He's God. But that would not have remedied the sin problem. Having given up his heavenly pleasures and his rights, as God, he incurred earthly problems for the sake of humanity. Christians have rights, but acting on one's right is not always good for others and their growth. Do you understand that? Jesus laid aside all rights and took on the infirmities for our sake. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. I think Bryce has it up there for us. But in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, if there are any consolation in Christ, if there are any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Christians, we must be like Jesus. Enough with this foolishness. When you and I stand before Jesus Christ, we will give an account of how well we reflected His light. I put Him in His place. I put her in her place. All oh, that, that's great. Everybody thinks you're wonderful now. That you're Mr. J Spiritual Christian. I almost said Joe Christian, but I got two Joes here. Smarter, sorry. Uh, Yet, how many times has someone been offended from a church? How many times has someone new walked into a church and someone's told them, that's my seat? Really? Jesus laid aside all his rights and took on the affirmities for our sake. 
That's how mature Christians ought to act towards immature Christians in the church. And especially in non-essentials as we talked about last week. The encouragement. Look in verses 4 through 13. Paul encourages them. He gives some practical encouragement through the resources we have to enable us to accomplish this task. How are we going to do this? How are we going to make sure that we we're doing this? Is there power available? Do we do it in our own strength? What's he say? Look at verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and the comfort of scriptures might have hope. The first of the resources that Paul gives us is the Word of God. We have the Word of God. It tells us how we should bear the infirmities of our, believer, our younger, weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. It tells us how we should encourage them. It shows us what we should be walking in. We should be walking in the fruit of the Spirit. We have... The scriptures. Look down in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only do you have scriptures, but you have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're without excuse, church. When we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we don't come along and build them up and help them, we are without excuse because we have the Word of God and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But preacher, you just don't understand. I can't control my temper. Yes, you can. You don't want to control your temper. I can't control my mouth. Yes, you can. You don't want to control your mouth. There was a woman that said that one time on Dr. Phil, and he, or a man that said that on Dr. Phil, and he said, I guarantee you can control your tongue, your mouth. And the guy said, well, how do you guarantee that? He said, I could lock you in a room full of hell's angels. I guarantee you, you'd keep your mouth shut. You see, we're adults. We do what we want to do, and then we blame the devil. We've always got that flesh right there. So there are resources available. Number two, the requirement revealed. Paul lays out and tells us some things that we need to know. Look at verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant to you to become like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Now, this is not saying that you got to like this or like that. you got to like the same cars. you got to do this, that, or the other. What this is saying is, in the body of Christ, we are united around Christ. One mind, like-minded. Look at verse 6. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like-minded in verse 5 actually means understanding. Paul tells us we will be able to understand one another if we seek to do what's best. You know, perhaps before we make a judgment on someone, maybe we should hear the whole story. I have to take my glasses off to see you all, and I want to see your faces on this one. Perhaps we need to find the whole story. You don't know what someone's going through. You don't know what they've been through. Uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers said most people, most Christians are either getting ready to go into trouble, they're in the middle of trouble, or they're just coming out of trouble. And that really summarizes it. I don't know what you're going through. When I come along and I start nitpicking you over something that's not essential about this, that, or the other, and I don't know the whole story. 
If I had a little bit of understanding towards you, I might not be so picky, right? I might not be so picky. Hey, look up here. Let me tell you this. This is important. You and I have to seek to do what's best, and so we have to understand each other. And in this fellowship, we can learn to understand one another. We can learn to understand one another. I don't know exactly from where you're coming, what, what point of view you have on this matter, but I know that I want to help you, and I know that I want to be there for you, and I know that I want to do whatever I can to help you on your journey. I don't want to be someone that tears you down. There's enough of that in Christianity. So we have to have understanding towards one another. We have to receive one another. Look at verse 7. Based on being like-minded towards one another, based on with one mind glorifying God, verse 7, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Can I ask you a question? How many of you in here were Jews by nature? Anybody? Do we have any Jewish people here that were Jews? Okay, aren't you glad that salvation was just not for Jews? Really? Amen. I'm glad that I didn't have to be a Jew first before I could be saved. And so yet Jews and Gentiles are in. It's not just one person. See, when we get to heaven, we think everybody's going to be independent fundamental Baptists. Because we don't understand that there is unity in Christ and man has made all of these different denominational things that mess us up. If we would get rid of all denominations and just go back to the Bible, you would find that there's more unity than there is disunity around the things. But what do we do? We do things because that's the way we were taught to do them. And we pass it on to next generations. And so we don't receive someone, well, you know, they're coming from a Methodist church. They, hey, let me tell you something. If they know Jesus Christ, I'll take them. I'll take them. Matter of fact, there's some folks in this church who were once Catholic, and they make great Baptists when they're converted. We should receive those whom Christ has received in order to promote the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying you just take every religion and people that false religions. That's, that's ridiculous. You know better than that. But how often are we really, really, really arguing over doctrinal things and not just preferential things? When someone comes in this church and receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they come from a different background... How do we receive them? We receive them like Christ received them. We take them in and we love them. But you don't know what kind of sin they might have been in. Who cares? What kind of sin were you in? What kind of sin was I in? We receive others in Christ. When they come to faith in Christ, they become our brother or sister in Christ. And then Paul tells us in verse 6, let me go back to verse 6, that you may have with one mind and with one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to have unity amongst one another. Guys, listen. I know it's real. I know we come in here on Sunday mornings. Some of you have perhaps had a week that we don't even know what's going on in your life. 
you're dealing with things outside the church that nobody knows. You're dealing with health issues. You're dealing with all kinds of things. And then the guy gets up and the praise team gets up and they play a song that you particularly don't like and you're disinterested. And, you know, I understand. I get it. But if we can get beyond that and see Jesus Christ in all of this, if we can get beyond that and see the glory of God, hey, I'm going to sing because I've been redeemed. I'm not singing because I feel good. Did you hear her song? I'm going to sing today because I don't feel good. I'm going to sing today because I have been redeemed. Jesus Christ healed me from my greatest condition. That was the condition of dying in my sins when he died on the cross and he was buried and he arose from the grave. And by my believing, repenting of my sins and believing in him, I have eternal life. I've been healed. And I'm going to stand beside you and I'm going to sing. And you're going to look at me and you're going to say, you can't sing. Sometimes I make Eugene laugh because I start the song before he does. I can't wait to sing. I'm anticipating it. I should be listening to him lead, but I, can't, I get lost in the song sometimes. And I sing the wrong words. But it's okay. Because God put a new song in my heart. And I know if you believe in Jesus Christ, he put a new song in your heart. And we ought not to look around and have disunity over silly things. We ought to be united to the glory of God. And our mouths all together sing praise. Listen to me. It's impossible. It is impossible to glorify God and be divided as a church. It's impossible. I think ultimately there are some results that will happen. First of all, God will be glorified. Paul tells us that when we seek to put others first and not seek to have our own way, we'll glorify God as one. And this is the ultimate goal. We can glorify God. I think, number two, God will fill the believer with joy, peace, and hope. Now, verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. All joy. You want to know what the greatest robber of joy is? Self-centeredness. That's the greatest robber of joy. When I was a kid, my preacher said, listen, if you're feeling selfish, bake a cake and take it to someone or bake, uh, bake a pie. You bake a pie, don't you? You bake a pie and just buy a pie and take it to them, right? Why? Because most often, guys, listen, the most miserable place to be as a believer in Jesus Christ is when we're self-centered and we're only thinking of ourselves. You start thinking of other people and you get your mind off yourself and God will fill you with joy. He'll fill you with joy. He'll give you peace. He'll give you peace. And He'll give you hope by the power of His Holy Spirit. Listen, putting others first will bring you peace. Putting others first will, will, will give you a hope and a joy. When we start looking out for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and I believe we do a fairly decent job at that church. We could always grow at this church. We could always grow in this area. But if we would start looking out for each other, understanding that we're not, we have little differences, but it's okay. Those differences have nothing to do with our faith and our, our unity in Christ. Christ is the uniting factor. It's Jesus that makes the difference. But if you put yourself 
always first. You're always going to be struggling. You're always going to be, someone didn't treat you right. Somebody said this something to you. You're always going to be the victim. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, have you ever been around someone that can't do it? I mean, you hate to go to dinner with them because the dinner, no matter how good, it's going to be bad. And you're embarrassed, I mean, because they're going to make a scene. And they're always just self, self-absorbed. And you're like, Oh, gracious, I saw a fellow, I, I can't help it, I wished I were more like Christ in this matter, but there's another man who's a preacher, and every time I see him, I see him at Walmart, and he doesn't see me, I go as far as I can away from him. And I dare not ask him how he's doing, because if I ask him how he's doing, he's going to tell me how he's doing. And six hours later, and all of his problems later, I feel like I need a bath. Too many Christians are self-centered. They have it to have it their own way. But dedicated Christians are not that way. Dedicated Christians say, listen, I'm going to do it God's way. And there is a better way, and it is God's way. God's way is always better than my way, so why don't I make my way like God's way? They're the ones who seek to do what's best for others. They're the ones who always want to be there with a kind word of encouragement, not tearing you down. Not always tearing you down, not always saying something, not always putting one up in you and putting one in, you know, and putting you in your place and all that garbage. There's a unity in the church that is beautiful. How good and how pleasant is for them to dwell in unity. That's what the psalmist wrote. Listen, when we follow the pattern of Jesus and we have unity in this church and we help to build one another up, God will receive glory. He'll receive glory. It's more important than having a packed house and having to build buildings and having all of these things and putting the number of people on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. There's more to that. It's about God's people walking in God's way, having joy and peace and hope. I mean, who doesn't want to walk in joy, peace, and hope? Anybody? I want, who wants to walk in joy, peace, and hope? I do. Who wants to always be fighting over something? You know, Jesus decided what was best for us. And he was willing to do what was best for us. He was willing to take the wrath of God upon him listen to me Jesus Christ was willing to take the wrath of God for your sin and my sin if no one else ever lived but you he would have done it for you and he bore the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary he was he died on that cross he was buried but oh friends he arose from the grave He tells us that if we would just repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. And those of us who have believed in Jesus, we have eternal salvation. Now we are called to walk in the newness of life. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to build them up in this one faith. We're to be an encouragement, not a discouragement. We ought to be doing what we can for each other, to build each other up. God has placed us together in this family. 
And brother and sister means something in the family of God. We're unique individuals. We come from all different backgrounds. We have our own little quirky things we like to do, but none of that matters when it comes to the unity of the brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I mean this sincerely. I'm not trying to scare you. I need to tell you the truth. If you die without Christ, you will go to an awful place called hell. It, it is a literal place. The Bible teaches it's a literal place. It wasn't, it wasn't created for men, for humans. It was created for the devil and his angels. And those who refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they die, if they die without Christ, that is where they go. The Bible teaches us it's a place of torment where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of awful, horrible, eternal torment. But you don't have to go there. Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross of Calvary. There remaineth no more sacrifice. You can believe in Jesus Christ today. You can say, I acknowledge my sin, I turn from that sin, and I believe in Jesus and what He did on the cross of Calvary. I'm counting on that to take me to heaven by faith alone plus nothing. And if you mean that, and you're believing in Christ, you have passed from death to life. You never have to worry about hell. Believer, if you're, if you're a believer, you're saved. And believer, I would say to you, love your brother and sister in Christ. How many of you have children? More than one. Let's say more than one kid. All right. How many of you that have more than one child, how many of you just love it when your kids fight? How many of you does it just aggravate the you-know-what out of you? I don't know what you-know-what is, but anyways. It does. It aggravates us, right? How in the world can we glorify God when His children we're fighting amongst ourselves? Isn't that crazy? Let's love one another. Church, I need you. I need you and you need me. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I, I will say this. I am so grateful and thankful. I was talking to Brother Joe this, this morning right before uh, church started. Joe Zimmerman was uh, very instrumental in, in Bill Melvin and my coming here. Went to Bible college together. And when they took a chance on me 19 years ago, at the end of this year we have completed 19 years. The first day of the 23rd we'll be starting our 20th year. And God has so blessed us. He has brought so many people in our lives. And I think of some of the people who have gone on to be with the Lord and how they had remarkable stories. There was one lady that uh, used to attend this church. She's in heaven. I'll not say her name. But through the dark years when we had nothing, she almost single-handedly by herself kept the missions going. What a tremendous testimony. And God has brought so many people through here, and, and you're here now, and I hope you're here for a long time. But guys, we need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to be, we see these young people, we got a lot of young people around here. We need to be their biggest fans. We need to support them, encourage them, love them, because the world wants them badly. The world wants them badly. We ought not to nitpick. We ought to help them. We ought to do all we can to stay united around Christ and to love each other. 
And man, listen, if you mess up, just come clean. Brother, I, I, I said something to you and I shouldn't have said it. There's no excuse and I am wrong. I'm not here to justify why I said it. I'm here to ask you for forgiveness. Man, if we had that kind of genuine realness here, that would go a long ways. Let's be like Jesus. Let's not worry about the externals. Let's worry about what Christ called us to do. Let's follow His example. Remember, not even Christ pleased Himself. He was willing to become a servant for you. The least you and I can do is serve one another out of our love for Christ and our love for each other. Would you join me for prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this day you've given us, the wonderful blessings. Now I ask, Lord, that you would help us.